And God, may we receive what it is you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Give it up for Kayla one more time. Good morning, church. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I stopped caring about the Super Bowl when the Saints lost. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm super excited to be preaching today. Uh, I've been invited to talk about prayer. Uh, But we just came out of a four-week series that Jordan and Spencer worked on on the Lord's Prayer. So we've kind of been talking a lot about what prayer is, what does it look like, um, and just a basic definition is prayer is communication with the Father. Um, So if we start thinking about our earthly relationships, they break down when we don't have communication in our friendships, in our relationships, all of it. Um, If we're not talking to somebody, we're not going to have a relationship with them. And our relationship with the Father is no different. Um, So what does communication look like? It looks like us listening and responding. It looks like God listening and God responding. And it also looks like just sitting together, just sitting in the Lord's presence saying nothing. So I think the most familiar way of prayer um, that we have all experienced is nighttime and morning, like scheduled prayer time. It's regulated. We um, do it every day or almost every day. And it's great. It's wonderful. But I think it can become repetitive um, and unauthentic. It becomes just checking off a box. um, And we're not actually doing it because we want to talk to the Father. So today, I want us to think about what it would look like for our prayers to be Holy Spirit-led, authentic, and honest. When I think of passionate and honest prayers, um, I'm taken back to a time my senior year of high school. Honestly, it felt like my life was falling apart. Um, I was in one of the worst seasons of depression of my life. I had just left an abusive relationship. Um, My parents had just gotten divorced. My best friend killed himself, and I didn't have the money to go to school. Um, And for those of you that know me, I'm a really big nerd, and the thought of not going to school was devastating to me because that's how I cope with things. Other people go to the gym, they they go boxing. I throw myself into academics, and I was losing that. And I felt so hopeless and so lost. I had been on this journey with God. I believed in him, but I didn't really understand who he was. I didn't know what that meant. And one night, I was just in my car and parked in the middle of nowhere crying. God, I don't understand. I can't do this. And from what I understand, you can. And I laid it all down to him. And I thought that in that moment, he would speak to me, that I would have this profound revelation and the heavens would open, you know, Old Testament stuff, and it didn't happen. Um, But you see prayers like that a lot in the Bible. Uh, One I think of most clearly is Job. And that's what I'm going to be teaching out of today. So if, while you guys turn to Job 7.11, um, I'm going to give a little background for those who aren't familiar. Job was this righteous man. He was wealthy. He had a huge family. He was super successful. Life was going great. And then in a really short time frame, frame it wasn't. Um, in one tragic event, all of his children die. His farm is raided. He loses all of his wealth. He becomes sick. He's covered in boils. Life is physically painful, and Job is suffering. Um, so if we look at Job 7.11, he says, Therefore I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. God's response, or Job's response shows us how to pray. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't try to say, like, oh, you know, life's good. 
It's not. And he admits that. He's like, God, this sucks. And I really wish it didn't, but I trust you. I don't understand what you're doing, but I trust you. And that's what our prayers need to look like. They need to be honest. We don't need to have incredible words. We don't need to sound eloquent. I know I wasn't eloquent. It was probably pretty ugly, like snot, tears, you know, Job's laying in the dirt, throwing dust on himself. It's not pretty, but it's raw. But honesty comes from trust. If you don't have trust in somebody, you're not going to open up to them. You're not going to share things with them. So if you aren't being honest with God, that means you probably don't really trust him. Something else you have to pray is that you can't do it. Job admits that he can't do it. I admitted that I couldn't do it. And you have to acknowledge that God is sovereign and that he can do it, even when we can't. So what happens when we pray honestly? So even though in that moment God didn't answer me, God was doing something that I could have never anticipated. In that week, God answered my prayers really specifically. I got healing from my friend who died. I ran into his family and had this beautiful conversation. I got healing from this past trauma with relationships. And I got the funding from school out of nowhere. It wasn't from FAFSA or anything. It just came out of nowhere. And that's why I'm here in Greensboro right now. If I hadn't gotten that funding, I wouldn't be here. God responded. But it doesn't always look like an immediate response like that. Um, So if you guys want to turn to Job 38, we'll see how God responded to Job. So it says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words and without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Something I want you guys to notice is that it's Job 38. That's 38 chapters later of Job praying and getting nothing in response. Absolutely nothing. So God says, Job, I'm going to talk to you, and you're going to talk back. He's like, I got some things I need to say to you. And Job responds in uh, 40 verses 3 through 5. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. When Job got real with God, God got real with Job. And God doesn't always answer all of our prayers in one week. God's restora- Job's restoration took years. He eventually gets a new family. He gets his wealth back. But that's not going to happen immediately. It takes years of patience and trust in the Father. When I stopped holding back my feelings and I allowed myself to trust God, even when I didn't understand, I got a clearer picture of what the Father looks like. I understood what it actually meant to trust the Lord because I was put in a position where I couldn't do it myself. And I know I'm a lot like you guys that we try to fix it ourselves and then take it to God. So God, I'm going to do this myself and then I'll bring it to you. Like I'm going to fix it and then I'll bring it to you. That's not real trust. But we don't have to be in crisis to pray like this. When we pray in the good, the bad, and the day-to-day, we're going to start seeing God in those places. When you pray in your day-to-day, you're going to be more aware of God's presence in your day-to-day, in the mundane. You're going to start seeing him there. When you pray to God in the good, you're going to start seeing him there. We don't just have to be in a valley. 
And if we're praying in the good in the day to day, when we get to a valley, we're gonna have the stronger relationship with him that makes it easier to communicate and trust the Father. So there's no step-by-step guide for how to pray. But if there was, it might look a little something like this. So step one is invite. Invite God into your life. Be honest about all things. Don't worry about words. Don't worry about saying it the correct way. The Holy Spirit equips. I was reading Exodus this morning, and Moses says, I can't speak eloquently. I'm so bad. This is paraphrasing, um, just so you know. <laughs> I am, I'm so bad at speaking. And the God says to him, I will teach you what to say. So when you don't know what to say, when you're stuck, I don't really know what to pray today, God. I'm just going to sit here and wait. God will teach you what to say. But you have to listen so that you can hear what he's telling you, so that you can be aware of his presence. Because like I said earlier, sometimes communication is listening. It's not always us talking. Sometimes we have to listen to what God's saying to us before we respond. So step two is to yield. What that means is admitting that you can't do it and that God can and allowing God to do it. Because we try to get in the way, we try to do it ourselves, but we need to take our hands off the wheel and give it to him fully. And finally, we need to trust. God has an intentional plan. We're secure even when we don't feel it. Job was secure through all 38 chapters. Are there chapters of your life that you're praying through that you're on chapter 37 and you're about to give up? And God's about to show up in chapter 38 because he's there in every single chapter, even when we don't hear him. Michael Todd says, faithfulness surpasses feeling. I think that's beautiful, that even when we don't feel it, because most of the time we're not gonna feel it, if I'm being honest, we still have faithfulness. And that's what faith is, doing it, trusting it, even when you don't feel it. When we step out in faith, it's going to illuminate God's faithfulness. Spencer uses this analogy of looking at a chair and knowing it's a chair, and faith is sitting in the chair. That faithfulness is revealed when you sit in the chair, when you take action, not just when you say, yeah, I could sit in it and it would work. You have to sit in the chair. You have to step out in faith. So I have some questions for you guys to think about and ruminate on. Number one, am I honest when I pray? Am I telling God everything I actually feel or am I just giving him the pretty stuff? What am I holding on to that I don't actually trust God with? Am I inviting God into every aspect of my life, my workplace, my school, my family, my relationships? What is God saying that I miss because I don't listen? So I want to challenge you guys to be more authentic and raw when you pray. It's not just about checking off a box. It's about having a genuine conversation with the Father, taking a step back, listening, and then responding, and allowing God to respond to you. So since I'm doing all this talk about praying, I figured I should pray. Um, 
God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you want to have a relationship with us and that you want to have an intimate closeness with us and know us better. I'm so in awe that we get to be in your presence day in and day out. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just speak through Izzy, that you teach her what to say. Thank you for loving us. Amen. That was so good, Kayla. That was so good. I've had the pleasure of hearing Kayla earlier this week, and I was just in awe of what she had to say. And then I got hit again, and it was so good. I'm just super encouraged by Kayla and um, her story and how God's moving in her life, and thank you for sharing all that. Um, I just wanted to open us up with a question. I don't know about you, but has anyone ever, like, had a dream? Not like a a sleep time dream, but like an aspirational dream. Uh, When I was growing up, my dream was to perform. Like that was the thing. I was ready to go, age five, put me on the Disney Channel. I don't care. Um, And it was funny, but the the real dream that I had was um, I wanted to be on Broadway. Like that was the thing. That was my thing. I was ready to go. I was performing, you know, on the fireplace. My parents are here. We have the home videos to prove it. Um, But it's funny because I had no concept of what Broadway was. I had no idea. But that was my dream. I would tell everybody that that's the dream I had. But it was funny because when I turned 13, I actually had the opportunity to go to New York and see what my actual dream that I was talking about was. And it was funny because I would talk to people about my dream even though I had no context for what it actually was. I would talk about it and I'd be like, oh yeah, I want to go be on the stage. I didn't know what I was talking about. I never experienced it. I really didn't have the authority to talk about it until I came back from actually seeing what that was like, right? So I, I, didn't, I had no context. I had no idea until the point I actually saw what it took to be on Broadway, what I saw what it would look like if I were in the city. And I think a lot of us act that way about the presence of God. A lot of us are sitting here and we're wanting to be a presence for our communities and we're saying, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be a presence for Jesus. But we're not spending the time with the Father. So we don't know what it's like. We, we, we don't know even who we're talking about because we're not spending it daily. We're not spending time with him daily. So my prayer is that if you don't remember anything that I say for the rest of the time, I pray that you remember this. It's the idea that we cannot be a presence in our communities, in our friendships, in our society, unless we are seeking his presence. There's just no way. It's impossible. And so I just, uh, I think a scripture that really solidifies that is in um, Exodus chapter 24 and 34. And so I just want to do a quick kind of definition of of what I mean by these two presences, right? So the presence of God being in his presence, all I mean by that is just like Kayla was talking about, when we're in communication with him. So whether that's prayer or worship or uh, reading scripture, all of those things are how we experience his presence. Um, but then being a presence in our communities is, is being a kingdom bearer, is, is being Christ's light, is being like Jesus. How can we illuminate Christ in us, in our communities? So I want to dive right into Exodus chapter 24, um, starting in verse 12. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain. Stay there, 
and I will give you the tablets of stone on which I have inscribed the instructions and commands so you can teach the people. Then we're going to jump to verse 18. It says, Then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain. He remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So just a summary of all that is Moses was instructed by the Lord. He's going up to the mountain, and he was specifically instructed to go alone, no one else, to spend complete time with the Father alone. And he took time, 40 days and 40 nights. It's a long time that he was up on the mountain in communion with the Father. And so I really think our community has a pretty good idea of what it looks like to be in God's presence. And, and if you don't, there are plenty of leaders that would love to talk with you more about it. But what I really want to focus on today is actually how uh, Moses' time in the presence really impacted his presence in his community. So we're actually going to skip to chapter 34. I know some of you are freaking out because I just skipped 10 chapters of the Bible. So let's do a quick spark note summary. Basically, Moses is on the mountain. God's speaking to Moses, and he's giving clear direction of how Moses can worship him with every aspect of his life. He's giving him specific instruction on just uh, whether it's what he eats, where he is, um, of just how to worship him. And uh, I know there's some confusion sometimes of those rules or that way, and really um, to boil it down is Moses was given a way to worship him with uh, very specific rules because in that time period, the way you could experience the presence of God was in a place but then Jesus came so that we have the ability to experience God wherever we are. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But really the main idea is that God was showing Moses how to worship him with every part of him. So 40 days and 40 nights pass. And then Moses comes down, which is where chapter 34 picks up in verse 29. It says, when Moses came down to Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the government, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. Verse 31, but Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. So Moses is coming down the mountain. His face is glowing. That's weird. It's literally glowing. It's illuminating. But he didn't even realize. He's just on this high of experiencing the presence of God. But obviously, and rightfully so, his friends were freaked out. But Moses talked to them and explained why that, that was the way it was. And he then was able to give them the instruction that the Lord had given him. So from this passage, I think we can actually learn a lot about how we're supposed to be presence, presences in our community. So I want to break that passage down even more. The first point I want to make is that Moses wasn't even aware that his face was glowing. It says in the second part of verse 29, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. He didn't come off the mountain wanting to be seen. God's presence for him was enough. He was content in just being with the Father, that he had no idea that he looked different, that he sounded different. All he was focusing on was the fact that God was enough, and that he had specific instruction from the Lord to speak to his community. He didn't have to prove to anyone else. I think a lot of times in our walks with God, we feel the need that we have to prove that we've experienced the presence of God, that we have to prove ourselves to the people around us. And it's a hard balance when we're trying to be a presence in our community because we want people to see the Jesus in us, but a lot of time we're just pointing them 
to the us in us. And I think, I, I think about the dream of just being on Broadway. I grew up in auditioning a lot. And basically, all of my, my growing up was this idea that I had something to prove. That I, when I got in the room for an audition, here I was. Please pick me because I have this, this, and this to offer. But the, that's not how God works. He already justifies us. He is the one that, that proves himself. We're called to stand out. We're called to walk in love and be a light. But are we pointing ourselves to Jesus or are we pointing people to ourselves? And I think the best way that we can implement that is really focusing on who is influencing us by focusing on the call of Jesus, the call of God on our lives, not our call for ourselves. Because we are all called to stand out. We are all called and capable of being a presence in our communities. So even though that Moses wasn't aware that he was different, he clearly was. He was clearly changed. And his friends, rightfully so again, were freaking out because he was glowing. So let's see what his friends have to say in verse 30. It says, So when Moses and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over. And he talked with them. The second point I want to make is that Moses came down to their point of understanding. I think something that we do a lot as Christians, and I'm just as guilty, is this idea of that we're holier than everybody else. That because we speak to God, because we're in the presence of God, that somehow we're better than the rest of the world. Or, or even worse, I found myself at points trying to be this us versus them mentality. When in, because Aaron, and it's clear that that's how Aaron saw it at first and his friends. They thought Moses was unattainable. They were afraid. They didn't want to come near Moses because they were afraid of the unknown. And Moses could have done a couple things to that interaction, right? He could have not explained himself. He could have just kept walking, like, yeah, my face is glowing. Or he could have come across as better than everyone else, like, yeah, I just spent 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain with God, whatever. And he could have just come across like he was better than everyone else. But Moses took the time to explain to them what happened. He understood why they were confused. I think often you and I come across as arrogant or, like I said, holier than the average person because we're not taking the time to explain to people why we are the way that we are. But that's not God's heart. God died, Jesus died for us all while we were still sinners. He created us and knitted us in the womb of our mother before we were even born. And there are moments in our lives where we have the opportunity to truly explain to people why we do the things we do. Why are you so kind? Why are you so selfless? Why are you so patient or full of joy? But are we coming across as unavailable where people don't even want to have that conversation with us? Because many people think we're too unapproachable because we don't take the time to even spend with them. Because we don't even want to associate ourselves with them because we think that speaks on our character. But the last time I checked, Jesus hung out with a lot of people that were not approachable. It also doesn't say that Moses tried to convince them. He simply talked to them. He didn't talk at them. He talked with them, which implies that it was a two-way conversation. So because not only Moses took time with the Father, but took time to do life with the people around him, let's see what happens next. In verse 31, but Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. Verse 32, then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. 
Point number three is just he had the ability to speak life into them. Because Moses was humble enough to take the time he needed with the Father and to say that that was enough. And then took the time to explain to the people around him in his community of what happened, what had happened that they were so confused about. He was then able to have the authority to speak truth, the authority to speak God's word over the people. But if he hadn't done that, he wouldn't have earned it. He, not earned it, I guess. It would, he wouldn't have earned the right or authority or respect of his community to speak to them. So hopefully, I will say your face doesn't glow. I hope that no one's face in here is glowing. And if it is, then you should probably not be in this room right now. Um, but when we experience the presence of God, we don't leave the same. We shouldn't leave the same. We should become more like Jesus. We should inherit the gifts of the Spirit, like Galatians 5 says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And the crazy thing is, in this story, Moses had to wait to be in the presence of God again. That's why it says in Scripture later that he actually placed a veil on his face and then would have to, to uncover it when he was in the presence of God. But every other time, the glory of God was on him, and he had to place a veil on himself but the fact of the matter is that you and I today don't have to wait anymore for the presence of God. We don't have to wait for a place to experience his presence. We don't have to wait till we're in a Sunday morning. We don't have to wait where we're in a Bible study or a small group or city group or a worship night. We have the presence of God actually living inside of us. And then it says when Jesus actually died on the cross, the, that veil was torn in two. So we don't, there's no separation between us and the Father anymore. And when we accept Jesus in our hearts, the, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, which holds the power of God, which holds the power of God that Jesus rose from the dead from. And we are carrying that daily. Everyone in this room has the ability to carry the power of the Holy Spirit inside us, which is literally the presence that we're trying to get across. And it's living inside of us. We don't have to go on a mountain for 40 days and 40 nights to get a revelation. You and I can just pray, like Kayla was saying, for two minutes, and God has the ability to speak to us. Which better, which there isn't a better way to then go be a presence, whether it's on our campus or in our workplace, in our families, in our friend group, whatever it may be, we are carrying the power of the presence. And so I just want to leave you with the thought of this, and then I'm going to invite Spencer up here, is just... How much of the presence are you letting impact you? Are you really seeking the Father and wanting him to change you? And are you letting yourself never leave the same as you came in when you experienced the Father's presence? So I'm going to invite Spencer up here right now. Give it up for both of them. Wow, so good, so good. You guys are awesome. I'm very proud of you guys. Fantastic. I'm actually going to invite um, Casey, Robbie, Izzy, and Kayla to come back up. As they're coming up, we're setting ourselves up for a panel. You can talk with your neighbor, maybe discuss what we just talked about for just a second, and we'll switch to a panel here in just a second. Such a friendly crowd. So friendly, so friendly. I have to say one thing, too. This is a very fashionable group right here. I love the way that they dress. I'm very impressed. I'm going to go shopping with Robbie and Casey pretty soon. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's 
So last semester and this semester, obviously, we've done this Emerging Young Leaders Sunday. Um, one of those, which is Sarah Ludwig, is actually in South Africa right now, um, spending six months on a missions trip there. And um, we are encouraging her from afar and have heard from her. My wife has and excited for what God's doing over in Africa right now. But we have these four here. We wanted to have a chance to just talk through some questions um, that we've kind of processed through over the last semester, this semester, and, and whatnot. So just to, to jump in, um, when we look at the idea of prayer, power, presence, which is kind of our thematic direction for the year as a community, uh, what does the role of prayer uh, play in following Jesus for you guys individually? What, what role does prayer play? Yeah, I think it's um, really important because when we're in those moments of not knowing what to do and you're like, God, where am I supposed to go? If we haven't consistently been in communication, we're not going to recognize what his voice looks like when right. he's telling us where to go. A lot of us are thinking, God never talks to me. It's because you never talk to him. Yeah. It's because you don't listen to him. Right. Um, so when we're looking for direction, if we're constantly in communication and in prayer, we're going to see that direction a lot more clearly. Sure. Good. Anybody else? Um, yeah, so Kayla definitely like, hit this when she was uh, speaking. She killed it. But um, for me, like when I was growing up, I used to just pray, you know, when I wake up, when I go to bed, before every dinner, before every meal, kind of just like, dear Lord, uh, bless this food, you know, you know, all these kind of things. But just like this past season, just uh, these past couple of years, prayer has been so powerful of just like, this isn't just something that like we have to do to check off the box. But this is like, like you said, communication with them. And then, but when we pray, we have to believe our own prayers. Because if we're just speaking, to just speak and just be like, oh yeah, you say that you can do these kind of things, but can you really? But like, instead of just saying like, Lord, I know you're going to do this. I know that you're calling this person to be saved. And I know that you can perform miracles because that is, that's so powerful. Just like believing and truly trusting because if you don't trust someone, then they're not going to do it for you, you know. They're just going to be like, oh, yeah, you, you talk to me, but so what? You know, everyone talks to me, so. That's good. Uh, so obviously anxiety, loneliness, depression are rampant amongst our society, um, especially this generation, Gen Z, generation upcoming right now, millennials, um, across the board. What do you think that people are missing? What do you think people are longing for deep within their inner being? Um, yeah, I think that obviously there are parts that are chemical in our brains, but then also I think knowing the truth of one, that light, that we have hope in Jesus and that we hope have hope um, in the promises that he's given. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes I can speak definitely on the aspect of loneliness in my life of um, having perspective of that God is faithful in seasons. And right. like I think Job is a great example of the fact that faithfulness even without feeling um, and it says a lot, I think, when we're seeking God with our full emotion and our full heart, um, no matter what we're feeling. And I think sometimes in the midst of depression or loneliness or anxiety, we can focus so much on the feeling and forget about the truth that we hold in mm -hmm. our hearts, That's which true. gives perspective. Yeah. Someone else want to share? Um, I think one thing is just the, the way of Jesus. Um, I've been learning 
a lot, um, is so designed for how we were created and for us to be the most healthy possible. Um, I, I, I don't want to like answer this as if it's like an easy answer because these things are so real and so relevant. Um, um, but, but like for example, one thing I've, I've learned is, is like when it comes to Sabbath or like the, the seven day week, and I know at some point in history they tried to switch that to like a 10 day week and it didn't work because we're designed to, to go through this cycle and to rest in the way that we were designed to rest. Um, so I think really sinking into the rhythms of Jesus um, and looking at his teachings, but also um, looking practically at the way he physically walked and lived day to day, um, that's brought me to a point of much more emotional healthiness than I was previously. That's good. That's a really good point that, that Robbie makes. One question he's asked me before, he said, do you think Jesus had a rule of life? Or do you think Jesus had practices that he implemented in everyday life? And I think absolutely. He was very regimented in his prayer life and his rhythms, his moments of solitude. About half the time, Jesus finds himself just alone with the Father uh, in the uh, Eremos, which is the wilderness. Um, and so good, good thoughts there. And the idea, too, that Jesus actually has come to give us the joyful life, like the good life. I didn't say the easy life, but the good life. And I think we miss that so often. Um, the last question really is this idea that Jesus has called us all to surrender. Um, the idea that to lose your life is to find your life, um, which is really surrender. What does that look like for you guys as college students? Um, what does surrender look like for you just in general? Um. I think it means giving up a lot of things, like recognizing, one, that they're not good for you, even if you want to do them, sure. um, but also saying no to things so you can say yes to the right things, mm-hmm. um, which it's hard because some of those right things you really don't want to do. Yeah. You're like, I know this is good for me, but I don't want to do it, um, and that's hard. Mm. It's really hard sometimes. So we have to trust that what Jesus has planned for us his way of life is actually the best mm-hmm. way exactly. of life. And we have to trust that he wants what is good for us, even if it feels like it's not. Mm-hmm. It is in the long run. Anybody else want to share? Yeah, so um, I think it's every day you just wake up with a purpose, you know. Um, as Christians, we're called to make disciples, like, every day and everything. And um, But also, like, we have to find happiness in ourselves and happiness in others. Like, if we have to look at someone else and say, hey, we might not be hanging out with them. We might not be in their lives like we want to be, but they're happy. And because they're happy, I should be happy too. So just that, um, and kind of what uh, you said, Caleb, just like you got to put God in front of our busy schedules. Because like as college students and everything, we got class. If you're a college athlete, you got practice, games, all these kind of things. And we're just kind of like, God, I'll, I'll put you in there somewhere after I get all these things done. But right. instead of like, if it's waking up two hours, an hour early, which I'm not very good at, but um, I'm just saying, like, if you can, if you're a morning person, um, do that. Like, just put him before your schedule. Put him before everything because he can make everything else feel so less stressful. Um, That's good. Can we give it up for these four?